The Spring Festival holiday is all about sitting in the house, chatting, cooking lots of food and eating with family, says Mr. Joe, smiling contentedly as he steps into the traffic of Jolie D. East Street, crossing the busy road with the total fearlessness possessed only by Chinese elders. I have no plans. It's a couple of days before Chinese New Year, and red lanterns are hanging from lampposts and trees, spreading luck and fortune and driving away Nian Shou, the mythical beast who comes out of hibernation each spring to prey on people and animals. With factories shut down as workers head back to their hometowns in droves, the smog-free sky welcomes the first day of brilliant sunshine. Wearing his usual blue and beige flannel shirt, our 78-year-old neighbour walks with surprising briskness along the pavement. Come, I grow all my vegetables over there, he says, pointing over the high, whitewashed brick wall to our left. Having Mr. Joe as our neighbour means that whenever we leave the apartment, we risk returning with vegetables. The spontaneous gifts of gourds, loofahs, lettuces or water spinach may arrive in the lift, the courtyard or out on the street, but the interaction always retains the flavour of village life. When I finally ask if he can show me where the vegetables were coming from, he obliges without hesitation. Near the street's intersection, he turns off the pavement towards the wall and climbs over it via a makeshift breeze-block style. Climbing after him and landing on the other side feels like being transported back several decades to the village that stood here before the area, like much of China, was urbanised during the 1990s. The grey, straight lines of the city street are replaced by a football pitch-sized expanse of green, bisected by well-trodden paths. Swathes of broad bean plants have opened their black and white flowers, which flutter in the breeze like butterflies. They are punctuated by every size, colour and shape of brassica, including numerous hongyo tai, or red canola, a bitter purple vegetable I've been seeing a lot in local restaurants lately. The space feels like a farm, but its periphery of netted hardcore, broken glass and old furniture betrays the fact it's actually a demolition site taken over by 30 opportunistic gardeners, of which Mr. Joe is one. A cat with fur thick with dirt darts across the path ahead of us, and my head snaps around instinctively to check our dog's whereabouts, before I remember that I decided to leave them at home. Mr. Joe is a little nervous of our two harmless maniacs, and spaces like this are populated with extremely territorial cats, their presence a guarantee of fireworks. My tidy vegetable plot is right in the middle of the field, says Mr. Joe as he turns left, following a winding trail between vegetable patches. Frames, tunnels and other structures line the path, cobbled together from bamboo sticks and salvaged window frames. It's hard to tell where one plot ends and another begins. As he guides me through the maze, I'm reminded of the anarcho order of a music festival campsite. Growing spaces like this can be seen beside railway embankments, along overgrown stretches of canal, or anywhere else there is Huangdi, wasteland across China. Their fluid boundaries are at odds with the regimented urban landscape, as Edwin Schmidt observes in his PhD in Environmental Practices in Chengdu. I find it striking that these individuals are able to work together within these abandoned construction plots, he writes, based entirely on informal and completely unregulated agreements. Moreover, these spaces do not require a government agency or even an NGO to facilitate such interaction. Perhaps partly for this reason, intra-urban small-scale agriculture, as it's known, is unacknowledged and even forbidden by local governments in China.
half hidden in the long grass, an official sign reads, cutting, burning and planting are all strictly prohibited. No random construction. At last we reach Mr. Joe's plot, an oblong acre of which every inch of soil has been put to use. He proudly points out spinach, lettuce, spring onions, chives, coriander and, most abundantly, bai tsai, the mild elongated cabbage anyone who's lived in East Asia will be familiar with. Thanks to Mr. Joe, our fridge is already packed with the things, but he hands me a plastic bag, pulls out a pocket knife and begins cutting bai tsai off at the root. I protest weakly as he drops one gigantic vegetable after another into the bag. I ask Mr. Joe if he ever sells his produce. Wo bu mai, he says definitively, waving his knife through the air as if nipping the idea in the bud. I do not sell. It's all he really has to say on the matter, and according to a 2020 study by Jeff Lure on intra-urban small-scale agriculture in the city of Nanjing, he is not alone in this. A significant percentage of respondents, 40.5%, consumed more than 90% of the food that they grew, writes Lure with a further 33% still consuming at least 70%. Respondents would share unconsumed food with family members, friends, neighbours first and, as a last result, sold near their home or in another area of the city. The scent of a distant bonfire drifts over on the breeze, and despite the distant traffic, it almost feels as if I'm no longer in a megacity surrounded by high-rises. My mind turns to the immeasurable cost of China's urbanization, which not only created one of the lowest endowments of farmland per capita in the world, but also an entire generation of newly urbanized farmers, their ties to the land severed. Sriram Nathrajan observes, This continues to impose an enormous burden on the agrarian population to devise an increasingly productive outcome year after year just to maintain the stability of national food and nutritional levels. This situation is exacerbated by climate change, as Junjie Jiang, director of the Environmental Research Center at Duke Kunshang University, observed in China Daily. Climate change poses a huge challenge to the sustainability of food production in China. Negative impacts include declining crop quality and yield, decreasing arable land quality, increasing price of water and fertilizers, aggravated crop pests and diseases, and more frequent and intense extreme climate events. The CCP's stance on these intersecting crises is to meet them with unprecedented investments. Chengdu is the site of ambitious urban greening projects, seeking to rebalance the quality of life for urban residents by planting tens of thousands of trees and constructing the world's longest pedestrianized greenway. And to meet food production goals, the government is investing heavily in high-tech industrial urban agriculture vertical hydroponic and aquaponic farms, as well as plant factories. Seeing the satisfaction on Mr. Joel's face as he hands me a huge bundle of spinach, I can't help feeling the answers are often simpler than we think. He and his fellow gardeners are improving biodiversity, restoring nitrogen to the soil, recycling household waste through composting, as well as providing a low-carbon food source just meters from their homes. In the days following our visit to Mr. Joe's allotment, our interactions have taken on an added warmth. Bumping into him as he takes his baby grandson for an afternoon stroll, he holds both my hands in his, inviting me and Tamsin to see in the new year with his family. Sitting on the L-shaped sofa in his apartment, watching a state TV channel's official New Year countdown, 
we thank Mr. Joe as he refills our cups with chrysanthemum tea. His grandson wriggles contentedly in my lap, scratching at the stubble on my chin with tiny fingernails. Mr. Joe's wife, daughter and son-in-law are preparing a feast in the kitchen. We've spent several spring festivals in China, but rarely have we felt this connected to our local area. I'm reminded of another line in Jeff Lewis' study, which discusses a much-overlooked social benefit of urban gardening. Growing food allows individuals to build social networks, which is especially important for those who recently moved into urban areas. Like us, Mr. Zhou has only lived in Chengdu for a few years. He's originally a native of Xichang, a city 350 kilometers south of here. As he slowly falls asleep on the sofa beside us, I reflect that without his farming practice, we would probably have spent Chinese New Year alone, doing our own thing, surrounded by families celebrating just meters away. As the climate crisis intensifies and food systems around the world come under threat, strong communities will be paramount in overcoming scarcity of resources and space. Spending time on Mr. Joel's vegetable plot showed us one way we can build connections with the land, with our food, and with each other. Thank you for reading. If you enjoyed this newsletter, stay tuned. On the 17th of February, we will release a video exploring the topic of urban food production further. Subscribe for free now and never miss a post.